It's Monday, March 29th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. Unfortunately, Russ is out today, but on the show with us, we have returning guest, SVP of strategy for Dell, Mr. Matt Baker. How's it going, fellas? It's going great. Going great. How about you? Doing good. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the show, Matt. Glad to have you back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So what's in the news? You got tech, you got tech history today, Bewley? Yeah. Oh. He's, he's, that's he's, not historic. Sorry. That's a historic sneeze. <laughs> it's it is allergy season here in Texas, so yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, all of us are suffering. Never really had bad allergies, but in our new house, I think it's just because we sorry. have like an acre of weeds. So oh we've yeah, got everything under the sun that could possibly irritate. Texas is not for the faint of heart from an allergy standpoint. Speaking of tech, have you guys ever seen one of those cedar eater machines? It like descends over top of the tree and then just goes, and grinds it down into a pulp. <laughs> oh my That's awesome. awesome. I got to see that. Are you talking about like, does it strip off all the branches or does it just no, 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 tree? No, it's, no, it's, it's just like one of those tree? orange asplen things that, you know, you throw, but you descend it on the tree instead That's of. so cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I've seen the ones that Aaron was talking about, the ones that like they crawl up the tree and just strip all the branches off yeah, so yeah. they can, and then they start cutting into big sections. I haven't seen one that just devours a tree. I hope now that I can find one, but I want the first one that I see to be a, a gif that makes it look like cookie monster. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. All right. I got a couple of things for y'all for today in tech history. Uh, number one, March 29th, this day, 1929, was the first time that a phone was installed at the desk in the Oval Office of the White House. President Herbert Hoover, our 31st president, he moved the, the phone from outside in the hall to the desk. Ah, interesting. Fun fact. I wonder what people felt about that. How's he going to get his job done with that crazy, noisy thing in there kind of stuff? Yeah. Or if it was uh, considered a bold move or whatever. That's right. neat. How, how ubiquitous were phones in that time period, I wonder? That is a really good question. Uh, let's see here. There was some commentary on that. Um, telephones and telephone switchboards had been in use at the White House since 1878 when President Hayes had the first one installed, but no phone had ever been installed at the president's desk until then. Huh. So I would assume at that period they they would have been fairly ubiquitous. Yeah. Oh, I wonder then. I wonder if people, you know, already had them in their kitchens and whether it was the circuit. You know, I don't know my timing well enough on. You know, phone what it's insane to me, though. I was driving to Colorado for spring break in the covid camper, my little mobile mm -hmm. bubble. That's so awesome. The mobile office. And yeah. I just I just got to thinking as I was driving rural electrification. Imagine if we did that, like we bemoan doing these difficult infrastructure projects. That was daunting. I mean, extremely to electrify the entire United States in like a short period of time. Yeah, because we moved fast on that. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was. I think it was the Depression, right? When that happened. That could be. That was some of the, the infrastructure, it was, right? It's I like, think it was the New Deal. Um, and like get everybody employed, get them working. Tennessee Valley Authority. And right. All that stuff. But you're yeah. right. Fun fact, Tyler and I were actually in the same class learning about that in AP yeah. history. There you go. <laughs> it's funny. Back in high school, but yeah, I also didn't realize this too. I was watching a uh, I was watching a YouTube video with my family last night, talking about light bulbs and technology and whatnot. And there's a fact dropped in there that by the 20s, 55 percent of households had a car, which surprised me. That seemed kind of high. Ford. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ford. Exactly. Yep. They have the car. Okay, yeah. there's another one. Um, March 29th, 1974, the U.S. space probe Mariner visited Mercury. It was the very first time. It was, uh, let's see, it was launched in November of 1973 and became the first spacecraft to visit the planet Mercury, sending back close-up images. Let's see. Usually it's obscured, right, because of its proximity to the sun. It's really hard to look at a planet that's right next to that super bright ball of flaming gas. Can't imagine why. Yeah, yeah. It actually, uh, it also taught us that Mercury isn't still, it was previously thought that it was, that it did not spin on its axis, but we learned that it does. Hmm. So, that was fun. I was I was not even one year old. Oh, there you go. Okay, and then also on this day in 1984, your boy Aaron Bewley was born. <gasps> Woo! Yay! Happy birthday! Oh my to gosh! Me. Happy, yeah. birthday. Happy birthday to you! I didn't yeah, even realize yeah. what the date was. But look at <laughs> if you would see through a podcast, you can't. You would see. Yeah, yeah I got some balloons going balloons. here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Thanks, buddy. All right. So we were talking a little bit last week about uh, some of the Intel stuff going on in Arizona. Intel is investing $20 billion in building two fabrication plants. And I thought I saw another article saying there was a third one coming. Actually, Mr. Matt Baker used to work for Intel, right? I did. In fact, in Chandler. Okay. So ah, is Chandler nice. where they're building more? Is that, is that, yeah, well, is that the so, plan? I know very little. Yeah. So I guess Akatio, it was called the plant space so they've been in arizona for a long long time i don't know how long but um there's a main campus where i worked and then there's another satellite campus called akatio and that is the big manufacturing site um and i think when they originally purchased that they had about 250 or 500 acres um so they knew all along that it was going to be a big manufacturing center they had actually built a plant in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, but for whatever reason, they didn't ex expand in that area and they chose to expand instead in Arizona. And so when I was there, was, I was just out of college and about a year after I started working there, they started building Fab 12, which was, was considered like a huge step forward in manufacturing. And I think it was the first 300 millimeter wafer factory in the world. Um, and so it was super cool. factory. Yeah. And at the time it cost $6 billion, I think was the figure to build. Wow. I mean, each fab is a, you know, 20 billion only gets you two fabs. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. not cheap business. Right. So why, I mean, I have, a, I have a lot of different questions, but why do they need to build and some of them are probably pretty dumb. So please don't, <laughs> please don't judge me, but why do they have to build a new building? or multiple new buildings and fabrication plants just to, or are they not building new buildings? No, yeah, building is, is new this buildings. a plant from the ground up for the new fabrication processes? Well, you usually, and the reason why you do that is, is that you don't get rid of the old plant because the old They're plant still producing. Becomes, becomes sort of, you know, fully depreciated and it might not be the cheapest manufacturing thing, but the process is relevant for other products in the portfolio and so okay. they tend to waterfall and then decommission it completely when it becomes irrelevant so i think it was fab four that's a funny fab four was it fab four or fab five <laughs> but anyhow they're on the main campus in in chandler there was a fab and it uh had sort of gone i think it was there for originally as a 
like a 386, like some old processor. And then they mm-hmm. waterfalled it down and it was, uh, it was um, dedicated to automotive discretes. So uh, different okay. ICs for the automotive. Yeah, industry. that makes sense. And then when I was there, probably middle to the end of my time in Arizona, I moved to Austin and still worked for Intel, but in a different, obviously in a different facility. <laughs> sure. The, but uh, they had just shut down that fab in Chandler. I mean, it, did it, they had been there for did they ever years. gut them and and repurpose the insides for new fabrication yeah. or, or I don't think they do new t- buildings. I think they they tend to do entirely new buildings. They do refit like uh, Fab 12 was refit, I think, a decade after it has, had originally been built. But okay. I mean, the problem isn't uh, I, they need more capacity. I mean, you, you can't so buy literally a car just, right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. yeah. As soon as I asked that question, I was like, you know what? I think we need more facilities anyway because that's a good point. we need to be producing that many more chips regardless. Well, there's right? a there's so. a huge there's a huge yeah. problem right now huge with yep. fab capacity. So and yeah. and part of the announcement that was really interesting is everyone was always kept asking, well, when's Intel going to use TSMC to manufacture their parts? And it's like, first of all, never. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> And then second, it's like, you know, they they started their Other own people are going to use us exactly their own foundry. So people always think of, of Intel as a technology company, which they clearly are. But Intel secret has always been manufacturing. I mean, that is their bread and butter. And when yeah. early days, if you remember, what was that processor called? Sledgehammer, I think it was the, the first AMD competitive oh, okay. AMD chip back sure. more than a decade ago. The only reason why they didn't capture more market share is that Intel could bury the world in chips, right? So they just couldn't produce enough of them. Yeah. Um, and that's when AMD, in essence, got out of the manufacturing business and now largely operates out of TSMC. Ah, okay. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, they had this that's experiment called Global Foundries which okay. I think was a joint venture with TSMC or somebody. Okay. And, and uh, for whatever reason, it was during a downturn and they're like, yeah, let's just get rid of it. And yeah, they may have, uh, they may have like spun it. I think it's still around. Was that, it may have been AMD and Freescale together. So anyhow, it was a weird, weird okay. tie up. And there's another aspect to this too. Like Pat Gelsinger has been on the job for a hot minute. Not long. Not right? even a hot minute. It's like a <laughs> yeah, hot few seconds. Yeah, right. A hot second. And uh, $20 billion is a lot to to suddenly... I mean, do you think this was already in the works? Or do you think Pat came over and just said, hey, we need to get serious. We need to earmark this money. It needs to happen. It, it clearly was in the works. I mean, yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, maybe not. Maybe well, not. But everything I'm seeing in the news, everyone's like, you know, Savior Pat Gelsinger comes over and dedicates $20 billion and he's going to build it with his own two bare hands and all this kind of stuff, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, it's hard to just kind of suddenly grab $20 billion within a couple of weeks, right? Well, I, I yeah, I mean, Intel has been publicly, has, there's been a lot of, you know, issues with their chip architectures, blah, 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 blah. I think it's not a coincidence that they hired Pat back to sort of help forge them back to greatness, right? So yeah. I would say it's related, but it had to have been in the works. And frankly, you know, him leaving would have been in the works as well. But yeah. Pat, I, rem- I remember Pat from when I worked at 
at Intel. In fact, I worked, he was the CTO and, and the way the companies, uh, or at least it was, I don't know anymore. There, there was a sort of full Intel labs, which was almost, it wasn't a separate entity, but it was a very independent entity doing R and D. And so my one big project that I did, I was in Intel's IT department and sort of did advanced, uh, remote access stuff back when it was difficult to work okay. from home. And so we installed the first um, DSL lines in the world as a part of that project. Wow. And so it was pretty fun because I got to do um, tech support for all of the the key leaders. So I'd get I'd get phone nice. calls from Andy Grove and he'd be like, Matt, I cannot get my internet working. And I'd be like, <laughs> nice. And I literally had like the CEO of Pacific Bell on speed dial. I'm like, uh, Andy Grove's DSL lines down. Could you help me out here? <laughs> nice. It's pretty, pretty funny. Do you think they're going to get into ARM processors? I thought I saw something around that. They're going to get into all processors, man. Okay, good. Okay, good. Because there's, there's a number of different kinds and I think there's kinds yet to be, probably yet to be invented. <laughs> but my guess is, is that, that they're not going to be licensing ARM. Okay. The way it, tra- traditionally speaking, remember they had yeah. an ARM processor. They got rid of it. Did they? Okay. Yeah. So they, they, when they acquired as sort of a, I, I would put qu- uh, quotes around acquired, but if you recall, con- was it, uh, who was deck? They bought a portion of deck when okay. HP bought deck. And so they wanted out of the chip business. And so deck had two processor lines. They had, I'm going to blank out on the main processor line. It was a pretty advanced 64 bit chip mm-hmm. that people loved. It just was not for whatever reason, it was not commercially successful, yeah. but they also had this business called strong arm, which was a arm derivative. Um, and the last job I had at Intel was as an apps engineer, which in chip land is basically the people that help you design chips into your products. So it's sort of, it's an engineering role, not, it's not applications. It's yeah. the application of chips. Yeah. And so that processor eventually turned into a sort of a core processor for um, handheld devices, like those little things back in the day, the PDAs. Yeah. Oh, the PDAs. Yeah. Oh, okay. PDAs. Oh, you're saying like yeah. TI-89s or something like that. Uh, no, no, no. Those yeah, TI, the PDAs. TI made those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the PDAs. And then eventually they got paired up and integrated with cell phone processors. So they became oh, wow. communications. So my job was to, to design that chip into Blackberries. Okay. And so that was my first big project was to design a cellular processor into if you remember, remember when they went from being pager-like to being like what you would think of as a modern mm-hmm. form factor, but it had a keyboard at the bottom. Yeah. It was that generation that had the Intel chips in it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Can I speculate with you? And if you need to make no comment, that's fine. With Michael and Pat's relationship and Dell's dependence on Intel to a heavy extent in like the server line and, and you know personal compute and all that kind of stuff. Was there any, I'm probably going too far with this, but was there any play there in terms of, hey, Pat, you know, they're on the golf course, like, hey, why don't you go over there? Why don't you fix that and help? You know what I mean? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But I, what I do know is I don't think Michael golfs. Um, okay. So, uh, <laughs> so they're flying I don't think, I don't think. I don't think, I don't think Pat golfs either. I don't know. Okay. Maybe he does. Yeah. Um, no, I have, I have no, I, I, I have no idea. I can't, can't imagine that 
I mean, look, the relationship between Dell and Intel, you know, is decades and decades and decades. Right. I mean, you know, it's sort of like you can't be in this industry and not do business with Intel um, or Microsoft. It's like, yeah. the, it's, you know, they're obviously going to be a really important partner for everyone forever. Yeah. And yeah, so... No, so I, you don't, I don't think there was some like chess playing at the top saying, hey, go over there, fix that. It'll help us. And I, I, blah, blah, I, blah, have, and... No, I, I have no idea, but I would say that the, the reality probably I would say no. Okay. I don't have no idea. Right. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, know. I, I don't I don't think the world's is as, as orchestrated as 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 you as you might be thinking. Sure. Yeah. Everyone tries to so find. Like, it's sort of like conspiracy theories. It's That's like, right. come on, you come to realize after life, it's like. People just aren't sophisticated enough to pull something <laughs> sure. off like that. Yeah, yeah. Everyone wants to find deeper meaning in everything that's happening. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Pat was. And then you tell. get all crazy about cryptocurrency. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that SNL thing on NFT was pretty funny. Oh, that was that was pretty funny. Uh, what the heck's an NFT? What, yeah, it's like, I don't understand any word you just said. It was a bunch of gobbledygook. <laughs> and she was like, well, it wasn't far from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think people try to find like, you know, hidden deeper meanings and things that happen. But yeah, Pat probably, you know, I think he even said it himself. His, his ultimate goal was to get back over there. And I was reading an article the other day that mentioned he was, quote, run off. I don't think he was run off from Intel, was he? I'm trying to remember why he left. Look, man, Intel was in, it, like, in various phases, went through lots of troubled time. Sure. So, um, you know, I think I, you, you never, like, all of that's gossip. What What happened, you know? Yeah, Pat left. You know, yeah. I, I will right. tell you though, when there was no one who bled Intel Blue more deeply than Pat. I mean, yeah. Pat loves that place. I mean, it's his home. It's where he grew up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, from a very young age. So I, I, I mean, it's, it's exciting, um, to see that he is able to fulfill that dream because clearly it's yes. been a dream of his forever. Yeah. Um. Yep. And it's great that they have someone who understands the history of the company, remembers Andy Grove and, you know, the rest of, of the crew. Um, you know, Intel, starting with Odalini, I think, it was the first non-engineering leader the company had ever had. Hmm. The company had forever been ruled by people who, you know, look, uh, Andy was a was a architect. Um, when I was there, Craig Barrett was the CEO. Craig Barrett was a material scientist and a manufacturing juggernaut. He's, yeah. I mean, so the, the company in its history was run by technical people. Um, yeah. And so which Pat, having, yeah. which Pat deeply is, right? Engineer, yeah. So um, anyhow, it's, it's, I think, you know, the in, Intel's big on Intel values and, mm -hmm. and they have, you know, you, you know, you get your badge and you've got this little card that has the values. And one of the things that that I would say was sort of like a key play that was run multiple times while I was there was this notion of back to basics. And, you know, I would imagine that they're in the middle of running the back to basics play, which is what, what are, what, who are we and what are we good at? And yeah. the answer is we are a manufacturing machine. So let's get back to our roots and back yeah. to basics. Um, and it's the same thing that happened when I was there and ultimately left the, the reason I left um, 
was that the division that I had been in was was back to basic. It was shut down for a, for a good reason, which was, you know, we had gotten too far afield from our core businesses and needed to really focus. And so I did get another job, that job doing the um, the apps engineers, but then then our good friend, Travis Vigil, who was at Intel and who I worked with there, said, yeah. hey, Matt, why don't you come over to Dell? And And I was like, this stuff, like, you know, I've got an English and political science degree. I was dealing with Heidemar codes and all sorts of crazy advanced math. I'm like, I got to get <laughs> <Yeah>. out of here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, I don't understand this crazy analog antenna design. I got to yeah, get yeah. out of here. But, uh, I mean, suffice it to say you're bullish on the plants and uh, Pat's direction oh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, I, it's, it's exciting to see. I mean, I, once you work at Intel, you always will love Intel. You know, it's it's just sort of it's a very special place with a very storied history in in all of technology. In our, yeah. you know, it's the founding founding father of our modern industry. And so, sure. um, I'm excited to see. I think you know, obviously, he's a great pick. Um, he knows the history. He knows. I mean, he, I think, was one of the key designers on the 486. If, if I maybe I, I might be misremembering, but anyhow, yeah. um, so, you know, farm kid from Pennsylvania now leading the largest chip, you know, yeah, CPU vendor, not the largest. It's, a, it's an incredible story. I re I've read a book by him. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's the one with the, the spinning plates. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he, he goes through all that talks about growing up on a farm and then getting into engineering at the, the base level of Intel. And it's, it's a really cool story. Really cool I mean, story. He is a, he's a self taught, I mean, not self taught, but he's, you know, on the job yeah. from a very young age. Yep. So it was good to get your opinion on Intel. I'm curious, anything else in the news, uh, anything else in tech news in general that, uh, NFT fancy. Okay. What are your thoughts on uh, NFT? No, 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 no. I, I'm, I can't make kidding. sense. I don't want to go. I don't, I don't want to go there. Like, okay. I think it's, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. I, I can't, I honestly, I can't make sense of it. And yeah, you said you didn't want to go there, so I won't keep going, but I can't make sense of it. I can't make sense. Of I it can't make sense of any of it. Like I make sense of it. I, it's a yeah. speculator's dream to have these, sure. but you know, but it's the types of like, numbers that you see, man. I mean, it's insane. But the thing is, the thing is this. And so this is, uh, we're going to get into this. I guess so. <laughs> so Beeple's artwork yes. was purchased by a Bitcoin whale, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like some art collector from the right. mainstream went out and set out, what was it? $63 million, something like uh, that. 69.7 million or something like yeah, that. So yeah. it was someone who, who, clearly has a vested interest in seeing crypto writ large going further. Right. And yeah. so it's, I wouldn't say it's a stunt, but it's like, look, I've got all this Bitcoin. Why don't I, you know, and then there's this other derivative of Bitcoin, Let you know, let's, yeah. let's do this thing. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, you, you can say I am the greatest and I spent all this money and, you know, the, the question is, is like, this, so the thing that I find most preposterous is most people think that the artwork was in the NFT. Yeah, it's not. Like that it's embedded. It's like, yeah. no, you can go download it right now. Yes. It's only 12 megabytes. It's, like, it's just a tag. It's just an, like an internet tag. Like that person's name it's not, is it's, 
It's it, just it's just like someone wrote in a Christie's book. Yeah. Bitcoin whale bought Beebles 69. Yeah, yeah that's oh, okay, it. Okay, now encrypt that. Yes, that's it. That's what I can't that's what I can't get. Well, I guess we're we're like you're it's your birthday. You're an old man now. I don't get what these kids are doing anymore. <laughs> well, that's going to be one of my jokes later. There's a Monty Python skit, the uh, the repressed citizen, where he said, where the where King Arthur comes up and he says, "Old woman." He goes, "Man." <laughs> he goes, oh, "I'm sorry. Who lives in that <laughs> castle?" He goes, "I'm 37." What? I'm 37. I'm not old. <laughs> and so <it's, laughs> I was going to tweet that out later. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. What else is going on in tech news? We lost our our your co-host. He I know. Well, Russ is out sick, and then Tyler, yeah, just bounced. All of a sudden, it's like we're the skeleton crew here. <laughs> Looks like uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator added the Suez Canal cargo ship ever given, <laughs> <laughs> so you can go fly over it. <laughs> That's awesome. Have I, have you played with the new flight simulator? No, I have not. I I, I, I need to buy idea. a new computer so I could so I can run it. But uh, that's what I was gonna say. I don't know if my computer's fast enough for it. It's funny. I remember being a senior in high school and playing um, Flight Simulator on my PC. I mean, it's been around for so long. Yes. Yeah. But it's got to be incredible these days. It's got to be. Yeah, incredible. it looks like it. But uh, it'd be cool to do a low level flyover, and, and maybe that you know it'd be cool. Maybe they have. I know they've got a few fighter jets in there. You could probably do go they over really. And, yeah, you can do a strafing run on the Ever Given. That's incredible. Okay, now I got to figure it out. Yeah, in fact, I, there's people who who like have simulated air to air combat in Flight Simulator. Nice. Yeah, there's a there's a YouTube channel, and the guy actually brings real pilots of you know people who have experience in those jets mm -hmm. to to do aerial combat. How do they do? Do they do well in the simulator? Is the simulator like they do? They do. I don't. I, I think it I think it has enough of the characteristics of the planes. And so yeah. the interesting thing is, is like the guy that was on was a typhoon pilot, which is I is a Delta canard winged plane. So it's got very specific characteristics. OK. Um, and uh, like the guy was saying, you know, at um, talking over the video and you could tell how his approach was radically different than he was in a F-16. And so this guy, the way this guy was fighting was clearly influenced by the, the specifics of that Delta wing design. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I think I've got it right. I think the Typhoon's a Delta wing. Anyhow. That's interesting. I have no idea. Handling I don't planes. know enough about planes. But You're not uh, an aviation geek like me? No, I wish I was. There's just sometimes there's only so much you can research and only so much you can learn and get into. Um, I grew up loving planes, wanted to be a pilot, wanted to fly helicopters, you know, in the in the army and all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, just never really well. For, you never got there. We don't have to get into all the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by the time I figured out I wanted to go fly, I was in college and I was close to getting engaged anyway. And she grew up in a military family and she's like, no, nah, I don't want that life. And then I tried to join, you know, years after, after I already had kids and that didn't work out. And then I tried to, I tried to join the reserves before it was all over. Cause I think you have to join by the time you're 35 or 36, mm -hmm. maybe 35. And I was actually going through the process. And then I found out I had cancer again. <laughs> I was just like, ah, fine. I guess it was never meant to be. So. Never meant to be. Yeah. You're too yep. tall to fly anyhow. Yeah. People have said that too, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, 
I figured we'd figure that out. I was just little like guys. squished down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you could fly a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I, it ended up moving into. And there was actually a guy that I worked with in, in Dell back in 2006, 2007, that ended up leaving and going to fly helicopters uh, hmm. for, I believe, the army. But uh, yeah, I mean, he would study on his lunch break right next to me. And that's part of how I got into and it. As helicopters well. are some of the craziest things on earth. I mean, yeah. That's what's fascinating. All the physics involved is, is unreal. The, control, the controls, like the collective and the cyclic and all this weird. Yeah. You know, it's. You see the rescue in the French Alps, the helicopter that there there's like a, it's on the mountainside and the helicopter comes right up and it's like got its nose touching the side of the mountain and just hovering yeah. there. Yeah. While yeah. They pull someone off the mountain. Unbelievable. I'll tell you what, I would not want to be flying that high. Although the Alps aren't nearly as high as you think they are. Um, but yeah. Helico have you seen the helicopters trying to fly up to to like base camp of of uh of of everest uh, yes i mean no it takes a very special helicopter and yeah. they are struggling struggling mightily yeah. to get even up to you know sort of base camp and maybe camp one yeah and that's seventeen thousand feet and this will be interesting whenever we watch the uh the mars chopper take off because the air density at ground level on Mars is roughly equivalent to a hundred thousand feet yeah. on earth. Right. Have you watched the program where they talk, where they tested it? No, I've seen some like little gifts where it's like trying to fly. No, they, like, they test. It was this crazy room that JPL has where they sucked all the air out. Okay. And then flew it. It was awesome. You should did it watch work? it. Was, it did. I think it's a Nova program. Um, okay. And uh, you know, they, it's, it's basically, I think it has, three stacked blades right okay Is that right? i thought it was blades. two i think it's maybe two it's alternating two. dual blades but maybe, maybe three i don't is. know anyhow and it it rpm wise is insane relative to what you'd expect for its weight so okay so they drain i think the density is one sixth of what it is at ground level on the u.s okay. i mean okay. the u.s on the earth yeah in the US. yeah i don't i don't know uh, the difference between i thought it was like one percent like if, is it? if at a hundred thousand feet, it's significantly less air and that's the equivalent. Maybe it's like 10% or something. 1% would be really thin. That's probably too thin. That's probably why the blades are going so fast. Cause they have to move so much air here. Let's, let's, let's check. Yeah, it I'll out. have to go find it. Okay. Huh? It is equal to 20. Whoa. It's equal to 22 miles above the earth's surface. You're right. That's crazy. How's that thing going to fly? That's what I said. <laughs> I was like, how's this going to be possible? Oh, when, I watched the, when I watched the show, I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Yeah. Well, I had to believe they would have tried it. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Let me get your thoughts on this. Um, Boston Dynamics. I just dropped the link in the notes there. Boston Dynamics unveil, unveils a robot called Stretch. Oh, I saw um, this. This one is less scary looking. Oh, you've seen this one? I haven't seen this one. Yeah, <laughs> but the no, robot dog has... Is too much of the, the uh, robot dog looks like the what 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 those metal head. Come, no the Stranger Things things. Oh yeah. Um, what were they called? Demogorgons gosh. or something? Yes, like Demogorgons. Yes. Those yes. little dogs, like that one with the arm that can reach out, like it mm -hmm. looks kind of like a dog mixed with a brontosaurus. Yep. That one scares me. Yeah. Oh man, there's all kinds of crazy news around what Boston Dynamics is doing with. There, there's been some local laws in some cities where the police are trying to use them and, you know, they're saying, no, you can't arm them or you can't blah, 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 whatever. But this one, the news here 
It's a new robot called Stretch, designed to move boxes and warehouses. Stretch can shift up to 800 boxes an hour, which is, oh, I guess comparable to a human? That's a lot of boxes. It's a lot of boxes, but I tell you what, <laughs> yeah. you, you read about what, what goes on in these warehouses and how much work they do. It's crazy. But the, the interesting thing is, is like, I wonder what problem they're trying to solve because like in an Amazon warehouse, it's great. You know, they don't, you don't go to the shelf. The shelf mm -hmm. comes to you. Right. So they just, right. the robots are, are not picking things up. The robots are the storage shelf. And they have you been in one of those before, or have you just seen documentaries? I, I mean, that's gonna I be fascinating. But you know the the one. So go check out that movie called Nomadland. It's Nomadland. It's okay. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's Francis is Francis McDermott. Is that her name? Yeah, from Fargo. Great actress. Yep. So anyhow, McDermott. Yeah, she. Whatever happens in her family, and uh, oh, she lives in a town where, some sort of factory town mining town or something and and the factory closed and so everything dried up she was a teacher and then she couldn't afford to keep her home she moves into this econoline van called um what is it called vanguard um okay. and so anyhow she works in an amazon sorting facility and the thing that i had like i was like wait a second this is an amazon facility like, like yeah this is it's almost like a product placement um, yeah oh they really recorded so, in one it seems it seems real. I can't imagine that they would have gotten permission to use Amazon's logo, sure, and and all of that stuff without, you know. So she's packing boxes. She's the, working. Sure. She's working as a like I think she works as a seasonal employee. So around Christmas time, she goes and works in one of these distribution facilities. Hmm. It looks. I, I I'll have to go look it up, but I it has to have been um, made in cooperation with Amazon. Yeah. In fact, it's on Amazon Prime, I think. Okay, then yeah, it must be. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's just it's all adding up now. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it just came out February nineteenth this year. Yeah, I, I watched it the other weekend, and it's it's a bit heartbreaking, but it's it's worth watching. But the the idea is, I think that was based on the Amazon robots are based on a company called Kiva Systems, which was okay. another early Boston robotics like. If you want to do robotics, it's Boston. Like yeah. every MIT robotics. and all that out there. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got iRobot there. You've got oh, Boston right. Dynamics. Kiva Systems was there. Um, and so I think Amazon started using Kiva. I think I've got the name right. I think I'm right. Um, and they started using them. And then quickly they figured out, hey, this is a game changer. We don't want anybody else to have it. So we'll, we're going to buy it. And so they bought the company. Okay. Welcome yeah. back, Tyler. The co-host co is back, dude. What we talked about there, we, we talked about fighter jets. We've talked about robots. We've talked about no! so much stuff that you no! would have been like all over. These are all things <laughs> I love. I thought I heard NFTs just as I had to cut loose too. Yeah, no, uh, something urgent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet. I bet everyone should get off NFTs <laughs> yeah. pretty quick. So that's yeah. That's not. Surprising. We were just talking about Nomadland, <laughs> and well, really, it stemmed from the fact that Boston Dynamics they just unveiled a new robot called Stretch that can move. Yeah, up to eight hundred boxes an hour. Yeah, like like my like my six year old right. Stretchy. He cannot do the box thing, though. Tyler has a, a kid who, whenever he doesn't want to do something, he says, I'm too stretchy. <laughs> means he's too tired. Yeah. That's funny. Stretch, you should get him a stretch, uh, stretch Armstrong. Yeah. Do they still make those things? Yeah, I think it was cured. 
Jaron Sheldon actually shared uh, a picture of a toy on a shelf somewhere in Australia, and I think my neighbors have them, but they are they're the ones yeah, that like pull stretch, and they'll go back into their normal shapes. Yeah, this one was like a Superman or whatever, or a Spider Man, something like that. And on the front it says "Super Stretchy." That's pretty cool. It, While I got you here, Matt, I'm curious if you've done anything with uh, GPT three. There's a bit of news here today. OpenAI's text generating system GPT three is now spewing out four and a half billion words a day. I have not done anything myself with it, but I find it to be incredibly fascinating. And in fact, it's not just text. You can teach it other stuff, right? So the thing that I thought was pretty interesting was one company fed it images. So basically trained it on hundreds of thousands of images, and then it would send GPT-3 incomplete images and ask it to complete the rest of the image. And it was eerily accurate. What? So it would be like a bunch of skate, they would feed it skateboards and then they would feed it like an incomplete skateboard and then it would complete the skateboard. Well, I what? think what they would do, is they, they fed it a bunch of faces and then you'd get the eye, you know, the eyes and forehead and then it would go. Uh, oh, weird. The rest. Yeah. That's the stuff that creeps me out. Yeah, that is creepy. Fake faces that <laughs> are getting created. I will say that, that the one with the Tom Cruise guy, that's insane. Yes. There's a, is that TikTok or sure Instagram or something? I, I think I think it's TikTok, but this guy does, you know, deep fakes of Tom Cruise. Oh. And it is <laughs> it is crazy how oh yeah. Really? I mean the only the by the way, did you see last week that they figured out how to detect deep fakes like a hundred percent of the time? Well, the reflection in the eyes. Yes. But I went back and looked at it. Because of the the semisphere, whatever, and then yeah, it's got to have matching reflections. But then I went back after I saw that article and watched that first video of of the Tom Cruise fake with the coin, you know, and he does the trick. Yeah, and he's got reflections in his eyes. So I don't know if that's always true or if it's yeah, just true it, with some. Systems. That's one of those things that I I I think I think they'll be able to. It'll be it, back and forth too, be an right? Race. Like if yeah. if that's what if that's what discovers it now, yeah, in in a in six weeks, the system will be smart enough to deal with it. And I, I don't have the topic at my fingertip anymore, but I thought I saw something that someone democratized deep faking with iPhones recently. So there's an app that just makes it trivial for you to create. I've got Is it. Is that it? I've done that one. Is yeah, it cool? Yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty funny. You can, you can make yourself Beyonce. It's very disturbing. Have you made yourself I Beyonce? Beyonce. Made myself Beyonce. <laughs> but the, no, the That's thing awesome. about it is like, I kept re, you know, like remember that guy dog face that was skateboarding and uh, drinking. Yes. Know, cran raspberry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so they had a reface of dog face and I was like, I don't look altogether different than dog face when I reface my face onto him. And I was okay. like, so, and then I was like, you know, if I put my face on a, a, on a, a guy, like it, I just look like a slightly different version of that guy. But since I have a, a you know, funny. a beard and mustache, when you put yourself like on Beyonce, Beyonce clearly yeah. doesn't look like me. Yeah. So the, the, the <laughs> little uh, bit different body ah! type. <laughs> no, but the, the 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 shocking part of it is is like it's so different that it yeah. it's 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 so weird. makes the whole concept triply freaky. Yeah. Um yeah. Wow. so it was it was it was pretty funny. So I, I may have missed it to switch gears real quick. I don't know if you guys talked about it or not, but Visa just uh settled its first transaction on a uh an Ethereum backed token. There. 
So do you guys <laughs> going you guys there? No, we didn't. I skipped over that one. Either waiting for you to come back or to not, <laughs> not have Matt bang his head against the well, pole. Is it, it was it was <laughs> so, it at least a non proof of work platform? Yeah, it was. So it's a stable coin. So they're they're doing it on okay. USDT, and I believe I think that one's proof of stake. And if I had to guess, I'd say anything Visa is going to end up doing is going to be proof of stake for now. If if not future based on something like a lattice chain or something like that. But you know, here hey, here's a question that I've been sort of thinking about: What would happen if if NFTs became so ubiquitous? What would happen if they if NFT transactions became a majority of of work of work done, yeah, in a proof of stake um, construct, right? So, in other words, proof of stake, you have a stake, right? You have to hold a certain amount of of eth to to mine. Well, I guess it's not called mining; it's called right. founding or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's different, yeah. but sure. But what happens if you end up being forced to and the network becomes dominated by non-currency transactions, right? Yeah, so, like the NFT transactions are not are not yeah. at all related to a currency; they're just transactions, right? And so, it got me thinking about: okay, everyone's all going crazy about Ethereum and you know this as a generalized ledger, but once it becomes sort of stripped of its currency, does proof of stake work anymore? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, like I you can't you can't have a stake in the NFT. The NFT is an NFT. Right, right. No, that's a good point. And and I'm curious about that too. And I wonder as well, like it, all of these projects, a lot of the NFTs, obviously stuff like what Visa is doing, they're all using Ethereum. So they're basically a derivative transaction network yes. using the, the what code. the F2.0 yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, just using the code. I don't know personally what the impact is to all of those derivative functions on top of Ethereum versus Ethereum as as a currency as a, or as a platform. value. Yeah. Right. And then uh, I'm I'm also curious because obviously one of the things that's happening a lot is that they're, they're constantly upgrading blockchains, right? So Ethereum is going through what apparently is going to be a very long process to go yeah, from one years. to 2.0 and there's some some uh, iterative, you know, one dot five sort of. Or sorry, you're too. getting to a point. Sorry, I think. Well, no, no, no. I, I actually, I think part of it is the uh, the efficiency of the network. It has to do with how much electricity is used right now. To I thought they were going to move to proof of stake. I think that's that is the wow. transition is going from proof of work to proof of stake is the biggest one, and that's why. That's why you, Aaron, that's you saw you saw in Coinbase, right? They're asking you if you want to stake yes. your Ethereum. That that's the beginning of proof oh, of stake, and it requires sense. a critical mass of Ethereum staked to to basically that fork the code so that it becomes a proof of stake uh, blockchain. Which, when Ethereum, because by all measures, this is expected to happen, right? It's just going to yeah. take a long time. Uh, when that happens, of course, Ethereum will be you know the single most popular, widely adopted proof of stake blockchain. It's also the backbone of most. If, uh, crypto yeah. projects, right? Yeah. By by a long shot, most are using Ethereum as the sort of the blockchain of choice. It's not it's not Bitcoin's network or, or BCH, you know, Lightning, where they've got forks and stuff like that. It's uh it's very much Ethereum based, which is always interesting to me because Bitcoin as that first mover is always sort of the number one that gets talked about. It has the highest valuation in the market, but arguably is the least efficient in every measure. 
of all of their crypto. Yeah, someone was trying to argue with me about the fact that that uh, gold mining is less efficient, but I was like, but wait a second, once it's out of the ground, it's yeah, out just, of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the problem with, with Bitcoin is everything is mined, right? It's like, basically, you got to go melt the gold back into the mountain and then remine it. Yeah, kind of though. But what right now you you can have you get rewards by actually mining yes. new Bitcoin. But that does have an end does. site, right? There the last Bitcoin will be mined at some point. That's part no, of but, the reason that it no, is but there's a work to asset. What happens in the network in that case? No, I know because they keep doing work to to get the yeah. cash for the, the transacting. But when you lose the reward of actually finding new coins, finding a new block. What, what I don't actually fees. know what that does to Bitcoin as yeah, a network. Fees. Yeah, yeah, it's just fees yeah. at that point. Yep. Unless somebody changes the limit. Right. So so here's yeah, right. here's here's my that would be here's hugely my, disruptive my, for Bitcoin. I, I got it. I got it. But but who's powering this thing? Miners. Yeah. Do you think miners want to stop mining? No, they want to find more Bitcoin. If the miners control the network. Why can't the miners decide, at least 51% of them, decide, hey, I don't like this limit. Let's take this limit off and keep mining. And then, okay, so you just yep. diluted the network. Just They don't right. care. Nope. So I'm still going like to make money. I'm, I'm curious about that, too. But, it, but that would require, I mean, that uh, isn't, I'd have to go back and actually look at the history, but Stuff like uh, Bitcoin Cash and uh, what what's the other one? Uh, there was another major fork of Bitcoin as well. That's effectively the answer, right? So somebody can say, we're going to mine more blocks, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all Bitcoin get new Bitcoin. It's almost like it's a, it's a true fork in the code base. You can have yeah. the Bitcoin that has a limit and then you've got other coins. I mean, that's still oh, hugely yeah, disruptive, it's, right? It's, it's sort of like, the, it's sort of Ethereum, right? They forked yeah. it because somebody... Somebody hacked the network. Right, right. And they've had problems with that in the past, to your point. All it takes is 51% to have major, major disruption. In fact, the biggest Not problem major, is like fundamental well, catastrophic, right? Especially because with a 51%, you, you can literally double spend a cryptocurrency. That, that is any proof of work system. If you have more than 51% of the network, you become the new blockchain, which means you can spend and then you can go calculate a new spend somewhere else. So you can actually use the block twice. There's, it's a, it's a huge, I would call it a hole, right? They seem to have dressed it okay, but that happened more than once with Bitcoin historically, particularly when ASICs became a thing because someone actually was able yes. to dominate the network with a relatively small amount of asset. They were able to completely trounce it, but it, it, it screws up the decentralization of a proof of work network to have disruptive technology when it comes to, to compute power. This is such this is such a crazy um product of the times, man. It's it really such is. a such a somebody someday was in a political science class and they're like, I'm a libertarian man. That's right. <laughs> you know, we got off the gold standard. Yeah. Time made, come on, man. It's all, you know, and, and uh, someone said someone said to me, they were basically like you know, Bitcoin is a whatever for a flawed monetary system. And I'm like, you guys weren't alive in the 70s. If you wanted to see a flawed monetary system come to the United <laughs> States in the 70s, like you realize our parents paid 18% yeah. on their mortgages, oh 18%. It's like, you think this monetary 
thing's flawed. You know, come on, man. See, now that that makes Bitcoin fees sound really inconsequential. So maybe we shouldn't complain about how expensive Bitcoin mining is. <laughs> well, did you see the the photo? It said uh, fungible non tokens, and it's just a pile of cash. <laughs> it's a pile of, like physical dollars. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Fungible non tokens. All right, Tyler, you should shut this down unless you got anything else you want to share, Matt. No, no, no. It's all good. It's good talking to you guys. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, for sure. And happy birthday again to you, Aaron. Super fun. Aaron. Well, we should have sung. It's Matt, okay. we should have sung. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, maybe it's next time. Maybe next time. Just kidding. We're not doing that. No, no, Matt. It was great having you on the show. Sorry I missed as much as I did. Uh, that was unexpected. But um, are you really 10 years younger than me? Yeah, I just turned 37. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm not old. <laughs> I don't know what is old. I'm not old. When is I'm old? Only 47. I don't know. I think it's a state of mind. When do you, when do you feel like an adult? Because I I still don't. don't. It's this is so you wrong. Don't. I have kids, and I keep thinking like, no, I'm 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 dad because you're my child, but I'm not yeah. I'm not dad. I'm not, I can't yeah, I can't do dad weird. things. I don't make adult decisions. I'm not yeah. a responsible human. What What are you on about? <laughs> Stop looking at me like I got answers. Although I was recounting I was recounting a story to Joanna last night when we were at the pumpkin patch like a couple years ago. And um, I was walking by this couple and they, they asked me just randomly, like, do you have kids here? Or like, where's your kid? But I didn't have my kid with me. And I was like, how'd you know that, that I had kids? And they're like, well, your dad's shoes. What were they? It's like Skechers. Like a, a nice pair of vans. <laughs> yeah. Penny loafers. All right. Shut it down. <laughs> On that note, that brings another penny loafers, but you got to put dimes in the penny Ooh, loafers, not pennies. Fancy. That's is that a new okay. thing? Because I remember actually having pennies in a loafer at some point. No, I always put dimes. I don't like. I like silver things. I don't like uh, bronze or gold things. Okay. Right. Okay. That we learning things about Matt, but we're actually going to shut it down. Just, now. A, just a preference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the end of another Tech Breakfast podcast. Thanks again, Matt, for joining us. We hope everyone enjoyed it as much as we did. Have a great. Monday afternoon, evening, Tuesday morning, depending on where you are and when you're listening to this. Thanks for supporting us. And we will talk to you on Wednesday. Cheers, everybody.